Amen. You may be seated. You have called me deeper. That's going to make a whole lot more sense here in a little bit. Uh, not that it didn't, but... Hey, we are in a uh, worship series uh, entitled, An Apostle's Epistles. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, called by Christ, by his grace, to share Christ with the people across the Gentile world. Uh, pretty much Peter, um, St. Peter stayed in Jerusalem and, and shared faith with the, the, the people of the Hebrew faith. But Paul goes throughout the uh, Mediterranean, northern Mediterranean area and shares faith with the Gentiles and begins to convert the world. And, and, and as he does that, as he, as he plants churches in place after place after place, town after town. He then leaves, but he, he writes letters back to encourage them, to strengthen them in their faith, to call them to accountability. Philippians is a, a letter of joy, but some of those other letters are pretty, pretty rough. He's hitting them pretty hard. And, and so, uh, so Paul writes these letters, these epistles, and uh, we're going through those as we read through the New Testament, the journey through the New Testament. We're going through those letters, and uh, this week we're on uh, the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul writes to the church in the city of Philippi. So I'm going to begin at uh, chapter 4, verse 4, and go through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Growing up, I've always been around a swimming pool. It's always just been a part of my life as a child. Um, I grew up uh, in, in Creefcore first. Uh, we lived in Creefcore, and right down the street, from maybe four doors down from my house, was Robinwood West Swimming Pool. Now, somebody confirmed for me uh, that that pool no longer exists. I guess uh, they shut that down. But it was there as a kid, and, and we'd go swimming all the time. I mean, if the pool was open, we were there, it seemed, during the, the summer months. You know, Memorial Day to Labor Day, we were always there. And then uh, if it was a, a special occasion, once in a while, we got to go to my grandparents' pool at Bell Reeve Country Club. My grandfather and his brother had a construction company, Israel Brothers Construction, and back in the day, uh, they did the earthwork on the first fairways, the original fairways and greens for, um, for Bell Reef Country Club, and a part of the contract was lifetime membership for my grandfather and his brother. Pretty sure in 1968, when Grandpa died, I never saw that pool again. <laughs> lifetime meant lifetime. We, uh, um, my, my dad then, who, who liked to play golf, uh, got a membership at, at Forest Hills. Now, we lived in Creve Core, mind you, right? We lived, we lived over near Fifi, well, no, past that, near Ballas and Olive. Actually, somewhere in between Ross and Olive, that's where we were. It was a long time ago. And so we would get on Olive Street Road 
That's what it was called back then, not Boulevard. It was Olive Street Road. And I still don't know why there's a street and a road, but it was. And we'd drive out, and the coolest thing to me was we'd, co- we'd cross this little two-lane highway called 40, and it went from Olive to Clarkson, and we didn't turn. That was pretty cool. And we'd drive through all the farm fields that are now known as, you know, Chesterfield Mall. As a matter of fact, those fields were as desolate as the mall is today. But we'd keep, <laughs> we'd keep on driving over the river and through the woods till we got to Forest Hills. It was way out there. And it was there at Forest Hills that uh, I remember a, a pretty clearly traumatic moment when dad took off my life preserver and said, learn how to swim. <laughs> and into the pool I went. Later we moved to, uh, to Chesterfield, we, we, the Green Trails area of Chesterfield. And there was a pool there, Green Trails. They had a, a pool and a golf course. Now it's all homes, but there was a pool and a golf course. And we were there at the pool all the time. I mean, just all the time. I, we lived uh, over on the backside of the golf course, and I could walk a few doors down and then walk through the golf course and dodge the balls and, and, and get to the pool. And, and we did that all the time. We were, we were at the pool a whole lot. But as you're growing up, well, from, from the youngest time, your goal at the pool is to be allowed to go in the deep end, right? I mean, you wanted to go in the deep end because that's where the cool kids were. You had to go in the deep end. And in order to go to the deep end, you couldn't just go into the deep end. You weren't allowed just to wander into the deep end. You had to pass the deep end test. Remember? Anybody with me? The deep end test. Now, you didn't just go into the deep end test automatically. First, you went to the YMCA, and you started as a guppy and became a minnow, and then a flying fish, and eventually a shark. (laughs) And then you were a competent enough swimmer that at the age of six, I don't know how old you were, they, they let you, you had to jump or dive in the pool in between the diving boards. And when you're six, one diving board is this high and the other 16 stories. And you knew one day you were going off of that into the deep end. One day. But first you had to pass the test. And you dive in or jump in and then you would swim to the rope. Don't sit on the rope. Don't hang on the rope. I know this because lifeguards make that clear. There is something about that rope that is so fragile that if you hang on it, I don't know, the pool drains or something. Don't hang on the rope. But you could touch it. As a matter of fact, you were supposed to. You're supposed to swim all the way to the rope, touch the rope, and turn around and swim back. And if the lifeguard did not have to rescue you, you passed the deep end test. And uh, I mean, it was the goal, right? To be able to go in the deep end so you could hang out with the cool kids as if they'd let you. Everybody's got to have a goal. I believe, I know, that, that our spiritual life often mirrors or, or maybe works in concert with our physical life. And I believe that as, as Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord, 
I believe he's talking about being in the deep end of faith. I believe he's talking about going deep with your faith. I believe he's talking about this this sense of joy that he has, this ability to rejoice that he has doesn't matter life circumstances. He's able to because he's, he's gone so deep in his faith. He's able to celebrate the presence of God in his life. He's able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And I believe he's able to say that because maybe you don't know this, maybe you do, maybe you've heard, but do but you know where Paul is when he writes this letter? Prison. He's in prison. He's in Rome. He's in prison. He's facing a capital offense. He could be put to death for the sin of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, either Paul has gone deep in his faith or he's gone over the deep end. No matter his present situation, Paul seems to be able to call us to rejoice. As a matter of fact, I think it's because of this depth of his faith that he has this physical experience of the spiritual reality. And what I mean by that is this, um, uh, I've, I've shared before that I, in, in, in times I've been a runner. Lately, I, I find myself walking a whole lot more than running. Um, and there's reasons for that, but, but you know, just for this time of my life, I'm, I'm not running as much as I'm walking really fast. But in the past, I've been a runner, and, and not just that long ago. And um, I, I did a, a, a half marathon. I've done um, a, a half marathon with mud events. Um, and I've done a lot of 5K runs. And, and, um, but um, I've never done a marathon. I started training for a marathon one time, and it just never quite got to where I thought I was at the distance that they wouldn't stop the timer, you know, and say, eh, you're done. Um, so I never have done the marathon. I, and, and when I say I've run a half marathon, um, I, it would be more appropriate to say I traveled a half marathon's distance. And, and um, I didn't come in last. My daughter and I ran it. We didn't come in last, but they could see us. You get a picture of my running ability. But I'm told this by people who run, by people who take those long distance runs, the, the people that, yeah, that, that just go forever. I'm told this, that, that those people who run... Um, eventually experience runner's euphoria. Now what runner's euphoria is, is that after you've run about two hours straight, which is why I've never experienced it, after you run about two hours straight, your brain dumps endorphins into the brain cells or however that works, and you experience a high, a euphoria. I believe that, that there's something that happens when we go deep enough in our faith and whether it's dopamine or, or endorphins or whatever those things are called, I believe that, that the brain experiences what may be senseless in the present situation, but it is a physical reality. Paul can say in prison. Now, I've never been to a first century prison, but I've visited prisons and jails, and I know that I'm pretty sure Paul's experience was not as good as it is today. 
And he says, rejoice. Rejoice. There must be something going on with Paul, some, some physical experience of a spiritual reality that he has. That, that in that, that time of his faith, as he connects to God, God dumps joy into his life that overflows with rejoicing. And wouldn't that be good to have? Wouldn't that be wonderful to have? You see, I, I, I fear, I, 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 I believe that, that, that there are some here today, and I won't name you, and I won't call you out, and I won't ask you to volunteer and, and lift your hand, but there are some here today that um, are a whole lot more comfortable in the shallow end. That it's, that it's, that it's easier just to do that. And you're not experiencing, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to experience the depth of joy that comes with going deep, deep in your faith. There is a physical manifestation of the spiritual life. And I think Paul examples that for us as he says, in the midst of prison, rejoice. But how do we get there? How do we find ourselves there? How do we, how do we get to that, that, that place in our life that we are there? I, um, so I have recently lost quite a bit of weight. 75 pounds. By recently, I mean over the last nine years. For the, for the first 48 years, I had to work up to it. <laughs> I've gone from 250 down to 175. Now, if you, if you graph that, and you know, here's the, the weight axis, and here's the time axis, and, and you go from here's 250 and here's 175, right? Weight loss is more like this. I've lost 375 pounds. Over the last four months, I've lost 10 pounds because I got a little more serious about it. My insurance company sent me an email that says, we want you to, because you're a type 2 diabetic and, and uh, we, we want you to, to get on this weight loss program, uh, um, we're going we're gonna to pay for the whole thing, we want you to do this if you'll do that. And, and uh, um, uh, even though there's HIPAA laws, somehow they knew that I was type 2 diabetic and put that together and sent that to me. And... Uh, um, one of the things they did was they sent me a scale, right, that I weigh myself on every day. And if you step on that scale every day and you look down and it went up, <laughs> there's a little different motivation. When I looked down and this morning it was 178 and I thought, oh man, I did sneak ice cream twice this week instead of 175, back up again. And I kicked myself because I know what it took to get down to 175. I know how hard that was to get there. But I think it is. Since our spiritual life and our, our physical life are so much alike that, that they're not separate, they're not completely separated, I, I think it is that in order to get there, whether it's dropping weight 
or going deep in our faith, it means work. Like a, like a kid getting ready to take the deep end test, it means going from guppy to minnow to flying fish to shark. And those of you who did YMCA back, do they still do that? They still have those, those categories? Okay, cool. So, yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I was a guppy. Are there guppies? I, I'm actually, I'm just making this up as I go. I think it is that the daily practice of faith is what's required to get to that depth. Just like stepping on the scale daily reminds you of where you are. Stepping into scripture, to a devotion. Weekly stepping into a small group or a Sunday school class. Stepping into worship. These are the things that cause you to go deeper in your faith. And I would say this, if you've been wandering around for many years of your life, ankle deep, it's because you haven't taken a step in the right direction. You want to go deeper in your faith, you've got to take the step. I can't take it for you. We can only provide the opportunities, but we can't take that step. You've got to take that step. If you want to go deeper in your faith, if you want to get to a place in your life where, like Paul, it doesn't matter what is happening. It doesn't matter if it's great or horrendous what is happening in your life. You can still say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If you want to get to that place in your life, you got to do the, take the steps to, to go deeper in your faith. You know, I, uh, after we belonged to Green Trails for a while, um, my dad built a pool in our backyard. And nothing will break you from wanting to swim any more than being a teenager who has to clean it every day. Kind of lost my interest in swimming, except for the fact that the neighbor girls would come over to the pool. There was that. But you know, the neighbor girls would come over to the pool and never once get in it. Now, they could lay out on their own back porch, but they were at our pool. They could lay out at our pool instead of, instead of you know, on their porch. But I swear they never got in it except for maybe to step on, down that one step that puts you ankle deep, kick it, maybe splash some water and then go back. I think there's a fear of the deep end. I'm not sure they had a fear of the water, but I think there's a fear of the deep end for us. Especially as we think, oh man, somebody might think I've gone off the deep end. Well, that's faith. To go off the deep end. And I think that I think there's a fear. It's like when I was uh, um, my my so water again. Um, uh, I'm certified scuba diver. My brother is he teaches scuba diving. As a matter of fact, he's one of the few people in America who is certified to teach scuba using the Russian language. Who knew that there are a great number of people from Russia, you know where they vacation? Miami. And my brother teaches scuba there. And they would scoff at us Americans who go and take three or four day vacations. They take a month or six weeks and spend it in Miami and learn how to scuba dive from my brother. 
So we, uh, uh, we went to Central America, Jack and I and my dad, down to Belize, which is beautiful scuba diving. Now, dad was just down there to fish, but my brother and I were going to scuba dive, and, and I had not been scuba diving in a long time, and so um, I, I, I hired somebody to give me a refresher course. We went to a swimming pool, put on all the equipment, got down, and so we're, we're out there for the first dive in Belize, and... Uh, I get out into the water, and uh, if you're a scuba diver, you know, you don't, you don't go, okay, I'm okay. You're supposed to signal to the dive master on the boat, you're okay. But you don't do this because they might think you're just waving like that. You do this. Just, I'm okay. And, and, and then go down. Put in the regulator, that's the breathing thing, and go down into the water. And I get down to about 35, 40 feet where the, where the sandy surface is and the coral, and this area of Belize, I mean, visibility is 120 to 140 feet. It's, it's that clear. It's like being in a freshly clean tropical fish tank because the tropical fish are swimming all around you. It's just marvelous. And I had this weird sensation of claustrophobia and agoraphobia at the same time, right? Claustrophobia, the fear of closed-in spaces, and agoraphobia, the fear of wide-open spaces. Well, this was wide-open space I couldn't breathe in. Oh, yeah, I can breathe. I got a regulator in my mouth. I just had to remind myself of that. But at one point, my brother had this clicker thing. And um, you remember the clicker thing that you had in games as a child? That, that, you know, um, not the ones that are electronic. It was the one with that little metal thing that made that, that click. Do you know those work underwater? And so he's clicking it, and I look over, and he's down here at about 80 feet down because it sloped away pretty quick. And there's sea turtles around him. Well, that's pretty cool. So I swim down there to be with him. And 80 feet, eh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. Except after the sea turtles swimmed away, I realized that, that at 70 feet is where the coral reef then dropped off 1,200 feet. And I wasn't okay with that deep end. That just scared me. I mean, I don't know. You go from fear of closed-in spaces to fear of wide-open spaces to fear of heights in the water. And I wasn't ready for that deep end. Actually, nobody would be. I mean, you'd have to have special equipment to go down that depth, but you get the point. I think that sometimes we're afraid of that deeper part of faith. I think sometimes we just feel so stinking comfortable at, at, at a certain level of faith. And we, we say, Dave, look, you know, I'm, I'm saved. I, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I got that heaven thing covered. Why in the world do I need to go deeper? Because every one of us at some point in our life will face a situation that's horrendous. A loved one who's sick. A child who doesn't come home. A, a, a circumstance on the job where we lose our employment. You name it. Every one of us will go through some part in our life, our own health maybe, uh, some point in our life where life circumstances will feel like imprisonment, like Paul in jail. 
And wouldn't you like to be able to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that allows you to say, rejoice. Doesn't matter the physical circumstances of my life. Spiritually, I can still say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. God invites us into the deep end, into the deeper things of faith. Paul's in prison and he's gone off the deep end. So much so that this book of Philippians is all about deep end stuff. Look, look how much joy Paul has in this book of Philippians. I'm going to run through this very fast. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. Verse 18. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that I rejoice. Verse 25. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith. Chapter 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy. Make my joy complete. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice in me. Verse 28, I am the, I am I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then in chapter 4, what I read earlier, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul has gone off the deep end because he's practiced his faith daily. You know, Paul was a faithful man before he came to faith in Christ. He, he was faithful as a Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees, they said. Pharisees were a people that get a really bum rap when it comes to uh, uh, the faith um, because they did challenge Jesus because he wasn't doing things the way they thought it should be done, but they were faithful to doing what they thought was supposed to be done. They were faithful followers of what they understood to be the Jewish faith. And so when Paul goes from Judaism to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not a long distance between the two, because Jesus was a Jew, right? So it's not a long distance between the two. He's able to convert from one faith to the next while keeping the daily practices of faith, the ones that become important, prayer, devotion, study, fellowship with other Christians. He's not in prison alone, by the way. Silas is with him. Paul keeps that regular sense, that daily sense of faith. And Paul affirms that when we read in, in verse 8, that second part of what I read earlier, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think he means think about them regularly, daily. Meditate on these things. No, uh, verse 9, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Follow Paul's example of faithfulness, of regularity. 
And if you do these things, like Paul in prison, the physical experience of the spiritual reality takes place. And you go on to read in, in, in verse 12, I know what it is to have little, Paul says. He's talking about the, the physical experience of life. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But first you have to go in the deep end. Amen and amen.